welcome to this latest edition of the Powder Blue Podcast. Phillies win nine in a row. They look like it's April all over again. Frank Close here along with Jeff Mosher. Jeff, I really hope that this Sunday game that just felt like it was everything that was bad about the Phillies leading up until June mm-hmm. isn't going to take away from the fact that the Phillies won nine games in a row. Well, it shouldn't. I mean, uh, you know, to let one game cloud what they've done since the last time we recorded a podcast, which was the day that Joe Girardi was fired, uh, would be incredibly, you know, disappointing to just focus on that. So we won't do that. I did have a feeling though, as the streak started to build from four to five to seven to nine, that when it was going to end, it was probably going to end miserably the way it did there. Um, some interesting things to take from that loss that we'll talk about later though, about the way I thought the Diamondbacks pitched the Phillies that game. Um, it's something to, to, to look out for over the next few days, but man, what a, what a reaction to firing Joe Girardi. I, I think I sent you a couple of texts. I'm like, could they have hated him that much? But you know, one of the things we talked about was just, um, the tightness that Joe Girardi managed with that was not only impacting some of his managerial decisions, like not playing the kids, which has been a big part of their, their run here, but also just. The locker room. I, there was one game where uh, one of the wins during the streak, I was watching uh, the post-game show, and you could hear just all the noise coming from the locker room, the partying. And then, you know, I think Nick Castellanos came out and said during his time here that he only had maybe three or four conversations with Joe Girardi. So it was pretty pretty obvious that the team made the decision that they needed to move on and get and get, get a new tone setter with the coaching staff. And then, of course, you've seen how that's that's manifested on the field. Yeah, that's very interesting that someone that high profile would not speak to the manager that often. So yeah, or vice versa, that the manager wouldn't seek him out. Well, well, yeah, that. I mean, to to me, if you're if you're there as manager, it's more any more about managing personalities, and if they feel like that they're just being ignored, I mean, that's got to count for something in a negative way, I suppose. But so let's talk about Rob Thompson so far. So so. I definitely noticed what you said, you know, post-game interviews, you could hear them cheering in the backgrounds, like, and seeming to enjoy life, uh, the, the players. <laughs> uh, is that enough to just wake this team up? It, was this the team they had all along that could, that can go nine games in a row, but they were just miserable? Is, mm. is that, is that enough to make the difference? Uh, and of course, you know, three of these games were against the first place Milwaukee Brewers, who of course are no longer in first place. <laughs> right, right. Are we seeing like a, a correction here where the teams that are actually a little bit better are starting to play better? Like maybe the Milwaukee Brewers aren't as good a team and they're starting to get knocked down a peg as well? Maybe. I, I still think the Brewers are pretty good. They have good pitching. I think, you know, Woodruff's been hurt and Peralta has been hurt and, you know, Hater's been amazing. Just like with the Phillies run, it was, it was probably about that time for him to have a game where he was going to give up a run. It just coincided with the Phillies being hot and that's what happens. I still think the Brewers are, I thought, I think that was a great series for the Phillies to go and take that series because I do think the Brewers are still a pretty good team. I don't think a month from now we're going to be talking about a Brewers team that just completely spiraled out of control. Um, you know, and, and they beat Burns, you know, they, in that game, they got Burns, and I think this has been the biggest thing since the Girardi firing, right, is that they got Burns to throw a lot of pitches, a guy who very rarely walks batters, walked, uh, what, four, and then who very rarely throws wild pitches, threw a couple of those too, 
and they were able to get him out of the game earlier because they were more selective with their 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 hitting and uh, what they were going to swing at and they let they didn't let Corbin get them out they made him get them out um and then they hit some hit him when they needed to so that to me like this offense should be doing what it's doing i mean guys like Schwarber Harper starting to get a little bit more from Real Muto right i mean um obviously the kids Coming up here, Stott and Bohm have given you some clutch home runs. This should be a good offense. And I think the fact that it gave the team the lead a couple times early was even more helpful because then when you get into those later innings, Frank, you can get your defensive replacements in and overcome some of your defensive deficiencies. That should be something this team should be able to do consistently going forward. So let's talk about the kids for a second because that seemed to be the one thing that Rob Thompson has done that Girardi has not, which is – let the kids, quote unquote, play. And I mean, part of it's, it's because there's no choice whatsoever. I mean, certainly losing Gene Segura was, was kind of a big deal, but, but now it opens up a spot, uh, with Didi back even for Bryson Stott to play every day. And so he's going to be at second base every day or, or he'll be at shortstop when Didi needs a day off. Uh, so what about letting them play that you witnessed has contributed to this? Because, you know, his first, his first lineups, you know, right down six, seven, eight, nine. It was Boom and Moniac and and Mayton for a day, of course, and then Stott. It's, so, uh, so how much of how much of this is letting these kids feel like they have a place here? Like, did, did Girardi not let them feel like they belonged? What are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, ask yourself this, Frank. In the game early on in the streak, what was it against the Angels where? Harper tied the game, right, with a uh, – was it a three-run home run, was three it? Run or grand run. Three-run home run. He grand sl- I can't remember now. There's so no, many I think games. it was the three-run homer, yeah. And then the game was won on uh, Bryson Stott's home run, right? Correct. Late. Do you believe that Bryson Stott would have been given the opportunity to, to even have that at bat in the Joe Girardi regime? That's a great point. Probably not. And then think they might have been pulled out of the game way even earlier than that. And so we had talked about that when he was fired is that there were times he was pinch hitting for, you know, Bryson Stott or somebody else with like Odubel Herrera. Like, come on. Like, what are you, what are we doing here? You know, (laughs) we're just literally taking a guy out of a game because he's young and inexperienced. And that wasn't really helping the cause. And, And now you've seen, and again, it's not like Stott's tearing the cover off the ball, but he's giving you some clutch hits during this this time and you need it you need these young kids to play i mean you don't really have anywhere else to go i'll tell you this the last seven games stott is batting 308 with a slugging percentage of 692 well that's huge right there yeah so a real big part of the success and it and it seemed like as you just said whatever the phillies were threatening up time can't, can't let you hit or, or conversely oh well you know you had a couple of bad days. Oh, we got to go Johan Camargo. We can't let you play. Right. And, I mean, it does help that Roman Quinn's not on the roster anymore, right? Mm-hmm. You know, in terms of letting the young ones play, uh, that, that they don't have to, to give at-bats to, uh, to Quinn. And it's, I feel a lot better with the others batting and, you know, as the ones that come in as a defensive replacement, which, which in recent days has been Herrera at times, uh, mm-hmm. you know, but, 
But how about that? That Bryson Stott, 308 in the last week. I mean, that, that, that was a bit, and over the last 15 games, 271 altogether. But re- you remember when we were speaking around the time Girardi got fired? I mean, he was still kind of fledgling, uh, bat- I mean, his batting average is still 193, but you right. know, it's taking a while to sort of overcome his early struggles. But sure. Uh, it just seems like that those early struggle, struggles just seem to, to happen be written off. Yeah, no, and then, and then the confidence is a big thing. When your manager shows the confidence in you by not yanking you out of the game, by not sitting you the next day after you go 0 for 2, uh, you look around the league. I mean, this, the game is being dominated by young guys. Uh, the Royals promoted this year Bobby Witt Jr., and he got off to a really, really rough start, right? But he's in the lineup every single day. And if you look, he still has eight home runs. He has 10 stolen bases. He scored a bunch of runs. He's starting to come around and be the player they expect. They didn't just send him back down to AAA because he had a really awful April. And I'm sure, you know, the Orioles are going through it right now. They brought up their, their stud catcher, number one prospect, Adley Rushman. He's off to a really bad start, but he's in the lineup every day. And they're probably going to ride it out because they need that. That If the Orioles are ever going to be anything again, they need their prospects to come through. Well, Jeff was just making a great point, and my power went out. So, <laughs> at least this is a podcast and not live on the air, right? So, right, we can right. we can we can start over. So, all right, we're going to reset. He was just in the middle of a really good point, and yep. if it sounds a little off, it's because we just had to start over in the middle of nothing. So, Jeff, <laughs> well, yeah, I was just talking about two prospects who were you know struggle started off struggling for their teams, but and and the same thing with the Phillies. But you still have to play them, and I think this Phillies team, you can. You can have your prospects, your young kids, struggling in spots at times because it's such a veteran lineup with guys like Schwarber, Castellanos, Didi's back, Harper, of course. It's not like some past Phillies teams where uh, J.P. Crawford would have to come up and be the man, you know, or or a, even when Reese Hoskins came up and had that amazing June. It was like he was he was the man, and if he went into the tank, then the whole offense did. Like you can live with your young guys going through growing pains because you have enough veterans on this team. And and I think Rob Tom Thompson gets that and he's committed to playing these guys and keeping their confidence as high as he possibly can. So Stott of course is responding well. What about what about Mickey Moniak? He seems to yet to really get his feet under him still. Yeah, and that that's an example where it it and look, because he already has a history, there's probably going to be maybe some reluctance on the organization's part to really, you know, Stick with it the way you would with Stott and, and you would with Bomer. Um, but I do think you got to still run him out there every day and, and let him work it out. And you can still win games even with him struggling. I mean, what was the alternative? The alternative was Roman Quinn, who was batting about a buck 70. It's Odubel Herrera, who at his best is going to bat about 260. Like there, there's still an upside or at least the potential of an upside with Moniak. And you got he missed six straight weeks. He sort of got rushed back too. He didn't have that much rehab time at the minors. So you got to give him some, the opportunity to play as much as possible and, and see if he can be the, forget being the Moniac of spring. That was like, a, that guy was an animal. You know, he's just looking for a guy who can play some center field and get you some, some hits every once in a while. So small sample size, but I do like watching him in center field a lot better than the others. <laughs> like I, I, I think that's. That, again, that's without digging into the different analytics that I know will tell me if he's good or not. But just watching him, he just seems to have a better read on the ball every time mm-hmm. the ball hits the center. I just feel way better knowing when he is in center field as opposed to the the alternatives. 
Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. And I think you just got to keep, keep riding it out and see, see what you got for the next few weeks and, and hope that something clicks with him and he becomes the next guy to maybe come up big in a big spot. And he already came up big in one big spot. I forget which game it was. He had a, he had a, he had a knock that, that helped. And, um, and by the way, like the, the unsung guy during the streak has got to be Didi, right? I mean, he came back immediately because they had injuries to both Mayton and, um, and Camargo. And he came up with, I think he, he came up with a big hit to keep that inning alive in that comeback win against the Angels. And then he's had a couple of big hits since then. That's correct. He was there in case of emergency. Right. Guess what? Yeah. <laughs> they had the emergency. So he comes into the game, bats in the ninth, singles. Mm-hmm. And he's been pretty good. I think, you know, I think too, you're, you're realizing that the lineup did miss Didi when Didi was out. Absolutely. And he, remember, he was hitting well before he got hurt too. So it's nice to see him come right back in, pick it up. And also it's, 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 I guess it's that time of the year where Reese Hoskins starts to, you know, warm up a little bit because now he's starting to, to, to get the back going. And when, when you have Schwarber, Hoskins, Harper, and we're still waiting for Castellanos who has come out and said he's been not, not good, but you know, and that's the nature of the game. You're never going to have four guys all clicking on the cylinders at the same time. So by the time Castellanos picks it up, one of the other three will, will go uh, cold for a little bit, but that's okay. Uh, but when you have those first three right there doing what they've been doing for the last six or seven games, you're making it awfully tough on the opposing pitcher. I'll check in again, but, uh, some, someone had pointed out that as Gregorius came back, he was, his, off the bat, he had the second softest, uh, hits, um, mm-hmm. or balls off his bat of anybody in MLB, which, which I guess there's some cause for alarm. I mean, he's not gonna, it sounds like he's not gonna hit you doubles off the wall, but, Right. If, he, if he's getting on base, I don't care how hard he hits it. I mean, yeah. I, I, guess, I guess the stats suggest that over time that might come down a bit, but I could, but someone who's singling, uh, you know, a, <laughs> they're dropping in between the shortstop and the left fielder, or I know he hits the ball over the field. I know he's a lefty, but, but I'm okay with yeah. that. He I can, think he, the he Phillies can are, hit 316. The Phillies are, are getting the last, the last fumes of, of Didi Gregorius. He's up after this year, right? This is the last year of his deal. Yeah, in fact, there was a rumor that the Phillies would maybe spend on a shortstop this offseason since you have Segura and Gregorius coming off uh, the books. So you're talking about $30 million they're spending up the middle. Right. They'll have Bryson Stott to play one of the two positions. So Sure. Um, maybe I, You just can't keep signing high-priced players at every position, but uh, that that would be my worry. <laughs> You'll have Schwarber and Castellanos and Harper and Real Muto and then one more all in your lineup, but but I will say this, you really just can't spend that money on pitching these days and make it count because it's yeah. not out there. You gotta find it some other way. Alright, so uh let's let's then move on just a second, uh um uh, talk a little bit about uh kind of the wheels falling off on Sunday. Now I know I don't want to be a, a Debbie Downer, mm-hmm. uh but I think we saw the kind of things that reminded us why they lost a lot in the beginning. Right. Right. The sloppy play in the field. Uh, they had an opportunity to sort of get out of an early jam with a one, two, three double play that should have been, you know, snap, snap done. And for whatever reason, JT Real Muto couldn't handle the throw home from, from Ranger Suarez. And, and Ranger also has not been as efficient. You know, he, he still needs to work through this. I know that there's some kind of, some people want to see him go back to the bullpen because they feel like he can help there, but, 
No. I think those days are gone. Who's I think start? he's a yeah, he's a good starter, and I think he just needs to work through it. He's just not been as precise with his location as he normally is, and he's running up high pitch counts because of it. And that he's that's not when he's at his best. So, but I think he'll by the end of the year pull through. I sure hope so, but I mean, I suspect that he will pull through it. And if you look at it, you look at his body and work, he is pretty good if he's going to be your fourth or fifth starter. Right? I, I mean, I, well, I mean, what are people expect? I did see somebody tweet, "Oh, you got to put Ranger back at bullpen. He's not a starter." If you look at his numbers, as a number four or five, he's he's that on a good team, all right? Yeah. Right. So, I mean, he doesn't need to be Nola, doesn't need to be Wheeler. Then you have Eflin and Gibson. I mean, he he's probably your number five among those guys, right? So, I mean, what, I I know his his whip is a little high; it's a one and a half. But mm-hmm. I know for me, he just doesn't panic and he thinks strategically when he gets guys on. So, I I I I think he's I think he's good in that role. I agree. At the back of the, the bullpen. I'm not worried about that, but certainly the defense was a little bit of worry. I mean, of course, real Muto. They're, they're, I guess, I guess the thing that must frustrate some is they're paying him to, to not make mistakes like that. And right. I, from my perspective, he just seemed to take his eye off the ball and, you know, try, try to worry too much about what was, what else was going on in the base pass other than that. And yeah. And that really, that really was the story of the game that and then, and then had a chance at the plate and, and yeah. Yeah, hey, of course, Bohm, Bohm another error that set that up to begin error. with. So. Right, right. Let's talk about Alec Bohm for a second, actually, because we're not totally off the young guys, I guess. But, uh, um, but the one thing this week that really, I want to say, bugged me mm-hmm. was him slamming his bat in the dugout and cutting himself. Like, <laughs> like this guy just needs to get out of his own head. Yeah. I, I, that, that's the only thing I can think of that, that, that would really contribute to him playing better is just relax, dude. Yes. I mean, he wasn't even that. Yeah, he didn't have hits lately, but he's still somebody who makes a lot of contact. He's still he's still driving a ball with a sack fly. He still can end up moving a runner. Like he, it's not that he wasn't even contributing. And when he's calm, he makes the plays at third. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I was a little surprised by it. I mean, I know he'd like to be doing better, but it came at a time where the team in general was, you know, hitting its stride. Um, maybe he just felt like he wasn't pulling his weight. I, I don't know, but. I would like to see him relax a little bit. He certainly has had a, uh, a better season since the first, you know, couple of weeks. And then the whole, you know, I hate this place thing. I mean, he's, he was able to pull himself out from that. Uh, yeah. Just, you know, I, just got to relax <laughs> again. Like the tightness is what made them play poorly. It's when they loosened up is when the winning and the, the offense started to come around. So, and, and he, it's not all on him. He, he know he should know that look around the lineup. You know, there's a lot of guys in this lineup that, that can, that are and hitting well and can hit the ball over the fence and you just gotta, you know, find your spot. So let's talk bullpen for a second. So uh, in this streak, Corey Knievel made it interesting. The one game, uh, then we learned he had some stiffness and, and wasn't going to play this past Sunday. So, mm-hmm. How worried are you if Corey Knebel is not getting outs? Very, uh, very, very worried, especially with the, you said, as you said, he had the, uh, the sore shoulder. So there was some concern there. Um, I was encouraged by the fact that Rob Thompson used Sir Anthony Dominguez twice in back-to-back games. That's another thing we can look at during the streak and say, would Joe Girardi have done the same? I think Joe did it once, but that's because what, uh, Sir Anthony threw like one pitch. Yeah. <laughs> on one of those games. So this was different. This was two back to back, fairly high leverage situations. 
that Sir Anthony was used in. And, you know, part of me wonders if we're not getting closer to Sir Anthony becoming the closer of the team, um, which I, you know, it all depends on Kniebel's health and his imp- and how effective he is and whether that's tied to each other. So hopefully he's not ailing too badly and he can get himself straight. But I, I would really, if I'm Rob Thomas now, I'm, or Thompson, I'm, uh, I'm keeping, keeping my options open as far as maybe making Sir Anthony that guy. I know it's working right now. They're using him in, you know, late inning, high leverage situations, but you may have to make a change here. You really like your batch box 20, don't you? Uh, I, well, I only said it once, right? Rob Thomas. This, I only this said it podcast, once. you said last podcast too. <laughs> Did I? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I still think once a podcast is pretty good for, for, uh, for that. <laughs> so, um, that totally threw me off where I was going to say. All right. Now, no, but, uh, you 3 know, the a.m., Sunday, Frank, I must be lonely. <laughs> the Sunday special bullpen, Nelson and Bellotti and Alvarado and Norwood. Ugh. By the way, Alvarado, just him being back just brings you back to April Wood. You could. Yeah. <laughs> Your tweet, by the way, summarized it perfectly. Ascending Alvarado to AAA, it's not, it's, it's sort of, I don't want to call it useless, but you know that he just has the, uh, on his fastball alone, nobody at AAA is going to touch him. So he's going to go down AAA for a week, strike everybody out, look like he's, you know, the, uh, you know, a changed pitcher. Then he's going to come back up and have location issues and those guys are going to be able to hit his fastball. So I don't know. To, to me, that was just like, where do we put this guy for now, right? Let's just send him down to AAA because we can. Yeah, it's, it's, it, the major leaguers aren't going to swing at that stuff. Right. Some scared kid at AAA, yeah, he's going to swing. Yep. So what do you have here? You have someone that can get everybody out of AAA, and then, I, I don't know, I, just and he comes right back, supposedly the – uh, the week at AAA that he was dominant, it was all of a sudden going to make, make him, uh, good again, I guess. Right. But, I don't know. I think, I think, I think you just got to cut ties at this point. I, I, I prefer Christopher Sanchez, who got sent down, uh, in favor of him. Yeah, that was kind of disappointing to see Chris Sanchez get sent out. I, th- I thought he deserved, um, more as well. You know, I, I and, and really, go ahead. I was going to say, Sanchez, the only thing he did wrong was end up running into a game to get the last few outs after Corey Knebel could not make an appearance. Right. right? That And yeah, he got a couple on, but he didn't really properly warm up. And uh I don't know. I, I, I would rather have Christopher Sanchez than Jose Alvarado. Yeah, I, I probably would agree with you on that. Yeah. I've been, I've been hopeful for Alvarado and there have been times where, as he's done throughout his career where he flashes, but he's just not consistent. And it did it feel like, felt like it was getting worse and worse. Like he was not getting himself out of it. And I don't know that he will at this point. I think he's one of those guys who gets hurt um really badly by the new rule where you have to face three batters and you can't just mm. face a left-hander. I think that that affects him probably more than anybody uh on the, in, in the, in the, in the, uh, in the arms, in the bullpen there. Cause they're stuck. I mean, if you think about their seven, eight, nine, Frank, if they're going to, the bat, if they're going to be leading some games here and have to go into seven, eight, nine, Right now, with Kniebel, you don't really know what you're going to get out of him. And, of course, with, with Alvarado struggling, you, you basically have Sir Anthony and, I would say, Brad Hand as two guys who are giving you something in high-leverage situations. But they can't just give it to you every single night. And then you still need that thir- – you need the closer. You need your – one of those guys to be able yep. to close out a game if it's not Kniebel. And if it is Kniebel, he's got to get the job done. So – 
this is a concern. And we'll see what's up with Francisco Morales. Still pitching pretty well at AAA. Yep. Uh, I, I think he's allowing a little too many base runners for their liking at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know, I know we've talked about bringing him up, but, uh, you know, he's striking out a lot of guys. So he's, he's, so he's struck out 38 in 24 and two thirds, triple A. Right. But I think that that's masking some of the, the base runners. So yeah. just kind of like Alvarado, I think maybe the where he is when he gets to the major leagues, they're not, he's not striking out 38. Right. Well, you know, Nick Nelson, I haven't been completely disappointed with him. I think he's had a couple of, um, not great innings that have made his ERA not look so great. What's he like four eight or something like that? Yeah. But there have been times he's gone out there and pitched pretty well. I thought as you know this season too. So maybe if he gets a little bit more of a nod, like you know more consistency, you'll start to see him do a little bit. I know he got knocked around by the Diamondbacks. Um, I mean that, that's the game that really is why his ERA is so high. Right, but there was another game too. I think against the Mets uh, uh, last month, he gave up like three runs in in two innings or something like that. Yeah, but May other than that, or no, the Mets, oh, yeah, three, twice. Yeah, yeah the Mets innings, got him twice. Yeah, and then three, twice, two times he gave up three to the Mets. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, and then, those two uh, games in the Diamondback game, that's his ERA. Right, right. Oh, and then the Marlins, I think in this in, in April, he had a he had roughed up. But there, there. But my point is, is that he's had more good outings than bad outings, far more. Yeah. And maybe if you just got him a little bit more, uh, run there, and he gets a little more comfortable with that role, then you get a better Nick Nelson. So I would like what I'm saying is if Knievel can't go, if he's got an issue, if he continues to struggle, if he's hurt, you want to make Sir Anthony your ninth inning guy and you need two high leverage guys for the seventh and eighth, you might be Brad Hand and you might be Nick Nelson at this point. I don't know if that's good enough, but that's what they got to work with. Yeah. Well, so let's talk about the stretch coming up. So the Phillies, in theory, uh, I shared the stat from ESPN. Somebody shared online mm-hmm. in theory. They should have the easiest schedule the rest of the way. So they, when you rank the 30 teams by their opponents winning percentage so wow. far, the Phillies had the hardest schedule mm-hmm. and then going forward should have one of the easiest schedules. So uh, it, it's, 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 we said it last year though, right? You know that, oh, you should win these games. Like, you know, right. of course, like Sunday, right? You know, you, you get, you get the uh, two diamonds back. Pe- Pitchers that are good in, in Madison Bumgarner and Zach Gallen. And then you think, Oh, bullpen game. Here you go. Right. And that's the one they totally fall apart in. So you have to play these games, but mm-hmm. you know, they have a bunch of games now against teams with losing records. Now, of course, the Marlins are surging like the, now that's the other thing we need to talk about the rest of the NL East, right? So besides the Phillies surge, the Marlins are having their surge. They won mm-hmm. seven out of 10. The Braves have yep. won 11 in a row. Uh, so you can't take the Marlins lightly, but yeah, I, but, uh, but the Phillies hopefully can can take advantage of keep taking advantage of these teams with losing records. Like this five game series against the Nationals coming up, they got they got a they got to win four of them, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Only the Phillies, by the way, could win nine games in a row and still not make up any ground on the Mar- on the uh, Braves. <laughs> that's just that's such a Phillies thing to happen. Well, they um, did, they did pick up four against the Mets, which they did thirteen versus nine. That's a big. No, that's difference. huge. It's huge. To me, it's really more about where are you at in the wild card standings now and they gained yeah. some ground there as well. But, uh, no, that was, there is a lot of baseball left to play and, and that was big. Uh, it's just amazing to me that at the same time that the Phillies won nine in a row, that the Braves won 10. And, oh, what is it up to? They're, they're, they're still they're up to lost 11, now, right? They're up to 11. Unbelievable. Yep. That could only happen to the Phillies, really. 
So the Phillies um, fell two games behind the Braves and now <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. But you know, the um, Atlanta's Atlanta's good. hitting their stretch of schedule that's more favorable to, to them as well. So Sure. I mean, sure. and we knew we knew at the beginning of the season they were a really talented team, right? I mean, they I think we both picked them to win the NL East, right? So I mean, yeah. you knew that you knew that talent wasn't going to keep them fledgling like the Phillies forever. Right. And they've gotten good pitching from uh, not only Freed, but um Kyle Wright has been really good for them as well. So, and then their their bats are starting to come alive and Nakuña came back. So, yeah, they're going to be tough. Uh I would say one thing to look for here as they face the Marlins who have good pitching. Um the one thing I that stood out to me on Sunday's loss to the Diamondbacks is I thought that the I don't know if this was because I don't know if this was just their approach anyway or because of what the Phillies have been doing, but it seemed to me like the Diamondback relievers who who combined to to start that that game or throw that game were trying to throw a lot of off-speed pitches early, a lot of change-ups mostly early in the count when you're normally looking fastball they were throwing change-ups. And you saw Schwarber went down a couple of times, saw more strikeouts than usual. Castellanos went down, I think. And I'm wondering if that was a response to the fact that the Phillies were just hitting everything in sight for nine days. And they were – if you threw a, if you threw the Phillies a fastball or if you hung a slider, it was getting out of the park. And so it'll be interesting to see if the Marlins kind of looked at what happened there Sunday and said, all right, this, this team, they, they were clicking. You got to kind of – work backwards against them right now. You got to throw them some of that off-speed stuff early on when they're thinking fastball, get them into those one and two strike holes and then try to finish them off with either high fastballs or something out of the zone, just kind of working backwards. So I I would think that's something the Phillies would have to kind of watch for going forward. It seems like the pitchers noticed what they were doing and are trying to make an adjustment or that was just one game started by a bunch of relievers and maybe that's the best pitchers all the best pitches they had to throw. I just thought it was kind of more than coincidental. And they, they, they seem to have their lefties lined up for the big spots. Yeah. Right. I mean, yep. when you could see, when you knew it had to be a bullpen game, right. They put, they put Kyle Nelson in to, mm-hmm. to start knowing that he was going to face Bryce Harper and Kyle Schwarber to, to start the game. So I think that was very strategic the way right. that they lined up those pitchers. And but I would go, say they, they've hit, they were hitting lefties pretty well during the stretch, right? It's just that they were getting them into favorable counts. The Diamondbacks were able to, get them some pitchers were able to get better counts in their favor. And then they just kept starting off with junk, junk change up, you know, trying to get them uh, to, to, I think that the Phillies were very antsy because they've been hitting the ball so well. Mm. And so they caught them off balance in that game. Well, speaking of off balance, uh, they'll be pretty off balance uh, starting out this Martin Marlin series. Uh, Alcantara, by the way, mm-hmm. already being talked about as a Cy Young candidate, uh, six and two, one, six, one ERA. 77 yep. strikeouts in the early going in 12 games. Jeez. Yeah, he's a good one. Now, Pablo Lopez is a little bit banged up, right? Is he supposed yeah, to? Yeah, he's, injured? he is, he is still banged up. I, I don't know that they're, uh, okay, it looks like they have him sch- scheduled to pitch on Wednesday at the 105 game against Kyle Gibson, but mm-hmm. yeah, Lopez has been really good too. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, how, how he's, how he's feeling is going to make a big difference. So I, I, uh, I, I think very highly of Lopez, but, uh, you know, last year he, he, the injuries knocked him out, and uh, we'll see yep. what happens uh, going into uh, the series if he can if he can get it back together. But but yeah, he did have uh, he did have a little minor day to day type injury that uh, we'll see. Yeah, no, this is a decent Marlins team. Like I know everybody thinks it's the Marlins. You got to beat them. They're five games under 500. But Frank, they've got this is uh, they must be the only team that I have to go look, but. 
They are plus 23 in run differential. The Phillies are plus 28 in run differential. So I, it's amazing to me that they're plus 23 and five games under is it five or four games under five, uh, four games under 500. You, you know, there are teams. I'm trying to find a comparable. Of course, team. the Phillies just did knock their run differential down from 40 in one game. <laughs> yes, yeah, 40 yeah, to 28. But like the Twins are leading the AL Central. They're at plus 25. So they're right there with the Marlins as far as run differential and they're eight games over 500. The, the Rays are 10 games over 500 at plus 22. So you're not going to find too many teams that have 20 or more a positive in run differential and are under 500. So my, my point in saying is that the Marlins, if you just took them on record alone, you would be like, that's the same old, you know, Ricky Bow bottom feeder Marlins. No, that's, that's not what they are. They, they, they can play, they can score. You know, I think Garrett Cooper was hitting pretty well, but he's on the COVID list now. So that takes away, but mm. they've been getting production from Aguiar from, uh, oh, Jazz Chisholm. That guy's oh, yeah. been unbelievable. Be an he's been an MVP candidate this year. Yeah. They, so they can hit the ball. Birdie has been playing well for him. They can throw. I don't know. I guess they just have bullpen issues like, like the Phillies and most other teams because they really should be better in the win loss record based on what they've got in their rotation and what, what their hitters have been doing. But we said that too. I mean, you know, when we, we recorded last, the Phillies, after mm-hmm. firing Joe Girardi had a run differential of, of one. Right. And I thought, well, they got to be better than, than being like eight games under 500 if they have a, you know, pretty even run differential. And yep. maybe we're starting to see things start to correct themselves. You know, they, we are. A lot, of, a lot of teams surging, a lot of teams falling. It's maybe it's that time of the year. Yep. Yep. So this is a big series. I, you know, you're right that the schedule really lightens up. See, I say, I would say the schedule lightens up after this series because I think the Marlins are, are formidable at very least. So, but you are home. So you got to go out there and at least, you know, two out of three would be a great start going into that really long stretch there. Five against the Nationals, day off, two against the Rangers. Uh, then you go out west to, to play the Padres for four. That to me is where you can really start to make a move before you come home and play the Braves. All right. Well, they have to play the game. So feels a lot better than it did uh, when we last <laughs> talked, Jeff. And we will see where this goes. Are they the team that won nine in a row? Or are they the team that had to fire their manager? This will play out before our eyes. So for the Powder Blue Podcast, Frank Close here, Jeff Mosher. We will catch you next time. 